following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're continuing our study in this book, reading. I'm going to read verses 16 to 26, even though our primary focus is the first three verses. But as we work through this book, we pastors will be spending actually four sermons on this passage. So we're going to hear it a number of weeks about walking in the Spirit, the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, these things. Galatians 5 beginning at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Each person here is in conflict within. Every believer is is in conflict with what we might call the enemy within. It's true we're in conflict with Satan and his evil hosts as well, but our focus tonight is on the enemy within, the enemy described here as the flesh, the sinful nature, or we might call it indwelling sin, remaining sin. There are a number of words that we use. And if you're a believer, you know something for certain about the reality of indwelling sin. Sadly so. You understand something about the conflict here, where verse 17 describes it, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. How do we battle the enemy within? How do we fight the flesh? What does the scripture tell us about this warfare within our own souls? We want to examine this from God's word Two main points, and the first point I'm going to spend some time on, and the second point we're going to draw some conclusions, but then we're going to come back to it after we've looked at the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit over the next two weeks or three weeks. So consider with me first this point. Expect conflict with the enemy within. A simple point, but really profound, 
we think about what the Christian life is like. Expect conflict with the enemy within. Expect conflict with the flesh, remaining sin. Verse 17 tells it that that the Spirit of God and the flesh are in a perpetual state of conflict in the believer's heart and mind. And this doesn't surprise us if we've walked with the Lord for any length of time. And thanks be to God that the Holy Spirit is at war with our remaining sin. It's not just us going it alone. It's the Spirit of God. If you were a resident of Syria right now, or maybe Iraq or northern Nigeria, uh, you would have a very heightened sense of what it feels like to live in the midst of hostility, a war zone. You never know when a suicide bomber might set something off in the marketplace. Or we've read about these series of small villages in northern Nigeria being attacked and burned to the ground and people slaughtered by Boko Haram, up to apparently 1,000 or 2,000 killed in the last few weeks. Horrifying. If you were in a place like that every single day, you'd be aware that there was conflict. There was the potential for deadly, something deadly to happen to you. If you took a bus somewhere, you might be thinking, is somebody going to try to blow up this bus who's on this bus right now? You'd be keeping an eye out wherever you were for any kind of sign of something like that. And what we're told here in Galatians 5 is that living in the midst of hostilities is exactly the experience of everyone who has trusted Jesus Christ. And the scripture is full of this description of our constant warfare. This warfare between the Holy Spirit of God and the sin that still clings to every believer in this life. Yes, if you believed in Jesus Christ, you've been given a new heart. You've been born again by the Spirit. The Spirit has come to dwell within you. And he has implanted in you a whole new set of desires and attitudes. We're going to see it talked about as the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 17, it's spoken of as the, the desires of the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. There are Spirit-implanted desires in everyone who's trusted in Jesus Christ. They're at first very weak, and they need to be nourished and strengthened by the Word of God and fellowship with the saints and teaching from the Word and prayer and all of these things. But By his power, Jesus Christ has come to everyone who has trusted in him and has overthrown the rule of sin in in our lives, and he has killed sin at its root. He has weakened the power of sin. But the nature of sin that remains has not changed. Remaining sin still declares all-out war against God and his work within us. There's no peace treaty. There's no ceasefire. There's no negotiating with remaining sin. The flesh, in a sense, hates everything about God. And if a Christian tries to stop the hostilities and end this conflict by giving in, by gratifying the flesh, it only makes matters worse. It's like uh, throwing gasoline on a fire. 
you can't negotiate with remaining sin. It's kind of like this series of articles that has showed up in the, in the local newspaper by a member of our church who's been in the Middle East a lot and has served over there in diplomatic roles. And he's written a series of articles. And I, I remember one of the articles, he had one in about a week ago, but one of them said, the war against terrorism is probably going to extend beyond all of our lifetimes. And there's no negotiating It has to be stamped out around the world. Any kind of negotiating with indwelling sin ultimately backfires. And so even though sin has no rightful authority in the believer's life, it still pushes us around, we would say. It still easily besets us. And that's why Paul describes this warfare in verse 17 For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Doesn't that remind us of Romans 7 and what Paul talks about there in terms of this warfare within Romans 7 at verse 21? He says it this way. It's kind of a fuller description of this. He says, So I find it to be a law... That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Do you hear what Paul's saying? He says he finds this principle, this law. The word law is used there at the beginning of verse 21 in the sense of there's a principle at work in my life. That when I want to, to do good... Lo and behold, sin crouches at the door, so to speak. And I see in my members, in my actions, in my mind, in my desires, in my thinking, in what I do with my hands and eyes and feet, where I go, what I do, what I think about, what I say in my tongue. In my members, there's something else going on. There's this principle waging war against the law of my mind that spirit-imparted desires of the mind. So Romans 7 is a fuller description of this. But what is the apostle saying, both in Galatians 5 and Romans 7? He's telling us that he is very much aware of this inner warfare that he expects. And as he comes to this point in Galatians, and he's talked about the liberty we have in Christ, we've been set free from the burden of sin and any kind of way to be justified and accepted to God by our works, by works of the law. There's this liberty. The epistle has has come to this point to this idea of freedom in Christ, but not freedom to sin, freedom to live for Jesus Christ. But he's saying, expect this battle within. Paul knows that part of life as a believer is sadly having evil at your elbow all the time. The Spirit gives you a Christ-like desire to love your neighbor, let's say, or to love that that difficult-to-love co-worker at your job, or maybe uh, even at times to love a difficult child or in your marriage to love at times when you're called to sacrificially give in some way. And so you know that this is a spirit-imparted desire to love with a Christ-like love. And what do you find? You find that sin is nipping at your heels. 
with an alternative plan for how to think about yourself. And so instead of expressing love or serving one another in love, you're thinking, why doesn't that guy get on with the program here and shape up? And, uh, oh, why doesn't that person give of himself or herself and serve me instead of the other way around? Sin is always nipping at our heels, even at our very best, even when we're praying, even when we're sitting here in the sanctuary seeking to worship God with our hymns. Even then, the flesh distracts us and cools our love for God and his word. And maybe you were singing one of those hymns and thinking, you know, what am I going to do tomorrow? I think I'll do this or that. That's the nature of indwelling sin. It's hard. And the, the, more, the higher the spiritual exercise, like worship and true prayer, the more our remaining sin is a drag on our worship of God. That's the warfare we live with. And so my first point is here, don't be surprised by the enemy within. Don't be deceived about the nature of the Christian walk. It's like living in Syria with constant civil war going on all around you. Or it's like being in Paris the other week when the terrorists were still at large and everybody was battened down and you didn't know if they were on your street somewhere. And in fact, I would say this, if you don't feel something of this battle within, this conflict within, if you don't understand something about it and see it in your life, then it's possible that you've never really given your life to Jesus Christ. If you're at peace with sin, then there's not conflict. The unbeliever, in a sense, is at peace with sin because he hasn't submitted her life or his life to Christ. Maybe there's peace because sin doesn't really merely remain, but it's still reigning and ruling in your life. And so you need to ask yourself, have I trusted Jesus Christ? Have I decisively given him my life and turned from my sin and trusted in his cross and his resurrection to save me from my sin? That, that is when the conflict begins. And if not, you need to be born again by God's Spirit. You need to believe in Jesus Christ. So Christians are called to walk in the Spirit by waging daily warfare against the flesh. And the very first point is that we must expect this daily battle with sin. I like the book, The Enemy Within, by Chris Lungard. And he talks about the fact that sin so often surprises us. He talks about like a suspense movie that the camera angle has a certain angle to it that the, the main person is walking into a room and suddenly something jumps out or someone jumps out. I don't really like suspense movies that much because I really don't want to be scared that much. I'd rather know what's happening. If I know the person's going to be okay, I might be able to watch that. But it gives you a start. And what he says in his book is that, sadly, there is a way in which the human heart is like a haunted house. That we never know from what direction the flesh is going to strike next. And the problem is not just external Yes, we know there are temptations from the world outside of us and Satan and his hosts. There are temptations from without, but the problem is there's temptation rising up from within our own hearts that embraces the world and its temptations and sins. 
And so we know Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? But we know that our hearts are cured by Christ and made new in Christ, but there's still a lot of growing left to do. Even with Christians, sin is able to surprise us and to deceive us. And it's a regular battle against the Holy Spirit of God because of our flesh. Hebrews 3.13 says it this way. It says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's Scripture calling us to mutual exhortation and edification of the body of Christ. We need, every Christian needs the fellowship of the saints regularly. We need to worship. We need to be praying for one another and encourage, encouraging one another. And the author to the book of Hebrews is saying, you need to do this daily because, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's talking to believers and he's saying, remember, sin is very deceitful. Sin is tricky. Sin will trip you up. Ephesians 4.22 puts it this way, when Paul urges us to put off the old self, quote, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. The old man, the old self, the flesh, is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. We must expect this conflict with the enemy within. And it's only by the light of God's word and the help of the Holy Spirit that the, that the sinful tendencies of our hearts are exposed. The Holy Spirit, by the word of God, shines a spotlight on our remaining sin. That's a good thing. We need to see it. We need to repent of it. We need to turn away from it. We need to trust Christ for power day by day to overcome it with the help that he gives. Think about how it describes it in Galatians 5.19, where it says that the works of the flesh are evident. The NIV says the works of the flesh are obvious. Paul is saying it's not really mysterious what the works of the flesh are. And he goes on and lists a representative list of that. We're going to get into that next week. But things like sexual immorality, impurity, things like jealousy and rage and envy, these things are obvious. And for us, why is it so much easier to see sin in everybody else than to see sin in ourselves? That, too, is part of the deceptiveness of sin, the deceitfulness of sin. It tricks us. We may know something is wrong, but the enemy within is deceptive. It's kind of like the sales technique of the bait and switch. You've all seen that and heard that. The bait is some good offer. If you hear an offer that's too good to be true, what's the answer? It probably is, right? It's not true. There's that bait of temptation that the flesh holds out. But it hides the hook, the hook of painful consequences. The scriptures talk about that as spiritual death, Romans eight thirteen. But if we give into the flesh, essentially it says we will die. It's not talking about ultimate spiritual death. It would lead that way if not for the constant work of the Spirit of God. And so sin pushes us around with all kinds of promises, pleasure, wealth, Entertainment, prestige, power over others, comfort and security. Sin easily entangles us and trips us up before we hardly know what's happening. And it affects every part of us. It affects our thinking. It affects our emotions. It affects our will, our 
conscience, even our conscience, can be desensitized to sin and be hardened and not even cry out anymore because we've walked down a path of sin so many times. It's very instructive to think of how how James describes the deceiving power of the flesh. I'm not going to take a lot of time, but you can look up James 1, 4, and James says each one of us is tempted when by his own evil desires he's dragged away. So the first stage is the mind is dragged away. The mind, which ought to be the watchman of the soul, to determine whether or not something is pleasing to God or not, that's the function of the mind. The mind is dragged away. It's like the mind is drugged. And then James says, and enticed. That's speaking of how our emotions or our affections, our desires, are lured away. And instead of desiring God and joy in God and the pleasures of fellowship with Him and walking with Him and obeying Him, our desires get enticed and sidetracks. It's like a commercial you watch. And you know the commercial is wrong in its fundamental outlook on life. But it's just so alluring and it just makes it all look so good. And your heart just wants to go out and say, yes, I need a three-month cruise right now because that is just what is, you know, is best for me. And James says, we're enticed. And then, then he says, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So there's this deceiving power of sin, dragging away, enticing, conceiving, giving birth to sin. And then here we have sin being uh, conceived in the will. We give in to sin. We decide to sin, maybe in a split second, just going in a certain direction. And sin is born, and it's expressed in some way in our actions or thoughts or words. And James concludes, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's the final result of sin's deceptive attack. Death, spiritual death, enslavement to sin to some degree. Again, this is the hardened life of sin that ultimately leads to eternal death. That's not true for someone in Christ. It doesn't take us to that ultimate point. But that's the tendency of sin. Whenever we sin, it tends to spiritual death. Thanks be to God, God does not allow it to go ultimately to that point to that full-blown, ultimate spiritual death. The Holy Spirit is at war with the flesh. Thanks be to God. And Jesus Christ is the only one who is able to slay the flesh. When we stop and think about the deceptive power of the flesh and this constant war, this daily warfare, which every one of you will be in this week, don't we say with the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ is warring in the power of the Spirit with us. And by his Spirit and his word, Jesus exposes the enemy within and shows our sin for what it really is. And this is a great mercy. He uses the Bible as we read it, sermons as they're preached, Christian brothers and sisters encouraging us, It reminds me of Nathan speaking to David that parable about the sheep and then says, you are the man. Nathan was used by God to rescue David from a pathway of hardness of heart in the way of sin. So the word of application on this first point is don't be deceived about the flesh. Don't be deceived about your own particular temptations. Maybe it's lack of love in some way. Maybe it's envy or lust or self-serving or laziness or whatever the case might be. There's a whole slew of ways that we can be tempted to sin. 
There are ways this week that the enemy will attempt to entangle each one of us. And we need to be aware of this. We need to be alert to the empty excuses and the false promises of sin and the small beginnings and the small compromises with the flesh. How's the enemy within trying to pull the wool over your eyes this week? Expect conflict with the flesh. But secondly, our other main point is the believer's holy and constant warfare against sin. The believer's holy and constant warfare against sin. We could put it this way. The enemy progressively overcome. It's never final in this life. It's progressive. It looks forward to when we will finally see Jesus face to face. And there are two aspects of this. They show up especially in verses 24 and 25, which we're going to be coming to. But notice there, in verse 24, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus has, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. One aspect that we're going to look at in more depth of this warfare is the fatal wound to the flesh at conversion. Paul is speaking about this decisive renunciation that takes place for everyone who comes to Christ, everyone who truly comes to faith in Christ, there is a decisive renunciation of sin. Yes, you're going to have to reaffirm that over and over again. Yes, you're going to understand more and more the cost of following Christ and what sin even is and all the sin that you're going to have to turn away from. There's lots to learn yet, but when you come to Christ, you trust in Jesus Christ, in what he did on the cross, in who he is, And you repent of your sin. You turn from being the Lord of your life to giving Jesus Christ your life and submitting your life to him. There's this decisive renunciation and turning away from sin. And now we're united to Christ. I've used the illustration before, but it's like the allies in World War II taking an island in the Pacific. And they storm the beaches And they fight their way to the center of the island and they take over the command center of the island and they raise the American flag and they claim the island. But there's still a mopping up operation. There's guerrilla warfare with any enemy soldiers still there. That's the Christian life. Jesus has taken the control center. He's raised his flag over us. We belong to Christ. But there's then a lifelong mopping up of the remnants of sin. And You know, you read the articles. You don't read them anymore. But for decades after World War II, they were finding little pockets or individuals of Japanese soldiers hiding on some of those islands. That's the mopping up operation that every Christian is engaged with. And so, it's not surprising that Paul writes in verse 19, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. We're not going to take a lot of time to talk about this. And later on, he'll say, after the fruit of the Spirit, against such things there is no law. He's not saying that Christians are free to break the moral law of God. He's not saying that like, now you've come to Christ, go ahead and sin. No, he's saying, in a sense, you don't even need the restraining power of the law if the Spirit is dwelling in you. When I taught ninth grade science, we had laws for the students. Do not use the Bunsen burner in wrong ways. Do not burn the girl's hair next to you. You know, 
there were lots of laws. I taught ninth graders. Did I have to keep the laws? Yes. But did I need a reminder, like a little, what is, what is the law? No, I taught the class. You know, I knew I, I would naturally keep the law. I'm not going to burn anyone's hair. You know, in a sense, it's saying against teacher, there is no law. Paul is not saying the law is bad or that we don't keep the law. He's just saying if you are indwelt by the Spirit, you don't need the law in that sense to restrain you. You run the way of the Word of God if you're walking in the Spirit. You're indwelt by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is producing this fruit of the Spirit in your life. In a sense, there is no need for deterrence when you're joyfully living and walking out the law out of gladness in Christ. And so there's this first aspect that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's only the beginning, though. Then is the lifelong second aspect, the progressive aspect of killing the enemy within by the power of the Spirit. That's the second aspect of our Warfare, And it's interesting that here we read lots of different ways in verses 16 to 26 speaking about walking in the Spirit. He begins, walk in the Spirit. He talks about being led by the Spirit in verse 19. Later on, he talks about living by the Spirit, verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. There's different aspects of this, and they're all basically saying the same thing. By the power of the Spirit, more and more, reinforce the desires and what the Holy Spirit has put in your heart and put to death sin, what the Puritans called the mortification of sin, putting sin to death by this power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.13 says it this way, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh or the body, you will live. Talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? Just a couple highlights about that. Day by day, number one, moment by moment, turning away from the desires and actions of the flesh and walking in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit means that you seek to forsake wrong desires and follow right desires. That's not rocket science. It's like physical therapy. Any of you who have been through physical therapy for weeks know that there are certain things you have to do. You have to move that leg a certain way, and it's painful, but you do that every day, and you hardly see a change from day to day. But you keep reinforcing the right things, and slowly you see growth. That's what it means to moment by moment, day by day, repent and turn away from sin and look to Jesus Christ. Secondly, walking in the Spirit means that you remember that you belong to Jesus Christ And you stand by his grace. Verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. They've done this decisive turnaround. But notice, they're described as those who belong to Christ. What a wonderful thing it is. For those who belong to Christ, we've set our hope in Christ alone. What a great difficulty it would be to to be to be seeking to obey the law out of a law mentality. That we have to keep all the law of God or we won't be acceptable to God. It would be like in Pilgrim's Progress with Mount Sinai thundering every moment, hanging over us like a big cloud if we looked at the law that way. No, Jesus has born the curse of the law for us. He's fulfilled the law for us. Galatians has gone over this again and again and now it says, now we freely desire to keep the law of God because we belong to Christ. 
A third aspect is when confronted with temptation, set your mind on the goodness of God to you in Christ. That will help you to see the wickedness of sin. We're going to see in verse 25 that when Paul concludes the list of the works of the flesh, he says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. A very sobering statement right there in the middle of walking in the Spirit. He's just reminding, keep the cross in view. Keep in view what Jesus has done, saving us and rescuing us. It will help us to keep our minds on the wickedness of all sin. And then finally, depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. Certainly, walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, certainly that means trusting and depending on the Spirit's power. G.K. Chesterton has that famous quote about the enemy within the flesh is like a rhinoceros in a restaurant who has great power but no rightful authority. It's a humorous thing, isn't it, to think of a rhinoceros kind of stampeding through a restaurant. Chesterton says he might have power, but he doesn't have rightful authority. And his point is that using the law to stop a rhinoceros is like slapping him on the rear with the blade of grass. It just doesn't work. There's no power in that. Only Jesus Christ can slay the flesh at its root. He's done that decisively in saving us, and he continues to apply that. And we need to trust him so that we make use of the true scriptural weapons of our warfare, trusting in the Holy Spirit, living by the Spirit. We live in constant conflict with the flesh, and we even have that in our own souls. It's sad, isn't it, that that is the nature of the Christian life, but... That's how God has ordained it, and it's for his glory. And ultimately, we're going to be able to look back and see how he used it, that we would more deeply adore him and praise him for what he does and what he will finally do in ridding every last trace of sin from our lives. Expect the enemy within. Let the word of God expose his deceitful ways and more and more overcome the flesh by living in the power of God's Spirit. Amen. Father, Father, we pray for help to understand these things, for help to apply these things, for joy in Christ that we willingly walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. We need your help. Like the great hymn we sang, we need you every hour. Oh, help us, we pray. Give us the power of your Spirit. Give us eyes to see the truth and the nature of remaining sin and the glory of the cross, and help us to live near and depend on Jesus Christ and his wonderful work of salvation for us. We pray in his name. Amen.